Hello there, Internet. Welcome back to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Whitkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a new podcast where we give our completely unnecessary professional opinions on the lives, the minds, and the relationships in all of your favorite movies. Hey, J.D., will there be learning? Oh, yeah. Will there be science? Oh, yeah. Will there be delightfully informal conceptualizations about the minds of non-real people from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yay. Yay. One of these days I'm going to completely run out of ways to say yeah. Yeah. It's going to happen. Just Or like turn into the Kool-Aid man. Yeah. I was going with um, Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah, brother. Brother, yeah. There's a resemblance. There's a resemblance. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's, oh, I almost went Mr. T. I pity the fool. (laughs) Okay, I'll stop. This is why I quit acting. (laughs) Uh, Stick to your day job and your podcast. And my podcast. Stick to your day job and your other dalliances. (laughs) Your other passions. Uh, speaking of passions, I uh, just came back from watching something that I'm very passionate about that we're not going to talk about on this podcast formally, but I got to say, Jennifer Lopez in movies, I can never get enough. I mean, I, it was, so this movie, what is it called? Marry Me? Marry Me. Marry Me. Marry Me. It was suggested yes. to me as a possible option for one of the episodes, and I just could not do it, but... Yeah. I mean, an Owen Wilson <laughs> J-Lo vehicle, like, I'm I'm here for it. I mean, and you know what I'm here for is a J-Lo Maluma vehicle. And I got to yeah. say, the chemistry between J-Lo and Maluma in this film is palpable. It is, is it? hot. And the chemistry between J-Lo and Owen Wilson is ice cold. <laughs> <laughs> it is rough. Those two kiss like siblings. It is oh, so yuck. weird. But I would watch Jennifer Lopez do anything. Also... All of her own, like, brand, like, in, in integration. She's, like, a real-life brand integrationist. Because oh, yeah. she's, like, constantly in the thing, her own, like, line for coach. And she's literally doing, like, a photo shoot for coach with literally Jennifer Lopez for coach. Like, that, that makes sense, actually, because and the guess. plot of this movie seems Paper like thin. it's, yeah. Paper it thin. makes I mean, much more sense for it to be just a one long advertisement for... The J-Lo It is just one long commercial. She does like a Vitamix ad. It's weird. It's very condescending. (laughs) Turns out the ways that men talk to women, like literally, you know how like in every, you know, rom-com especially, there's like the build and the like, and then then things are good and good and good. And then all of a sudden something bad happens before the grand gesture. After the something bad happens, Owen Wilson goes to Jennifer Lopez's like a publicist slash like, friend slash employee mm-hmm. slash whatever and he goes let me know when she figures it out <laughs> or like whatever he's like or like make sure that make sure she she's gonna figure it out one day right or like whatever oh, about bro. her and it's those condescending like oh that dumb rich celebrity she right. doesn't know what really life is about it's about a middle-aged math teacher who looks like Ellen DeGeneres like that's life <laughs> he's a math teacher right he's a math teacher yeah it's uh it's a little yeah which is wild brought. because like in all senses and ways J-Lo should be condescending to Owen it's, Wilson like deeply yeah deeply and I will say like to, to everyone out there uh I may sound mad I loved it I loved every <laughs> oh, yeah. second of it I um, would watch it I will watch it again <laughs> I will watch it. That will be a, like, I'm sick on the couch. Like, you know what oh, I should yeah, watch? Oh, yeah, it's perfect. A dumb movie again. Yeah. And I will watch it again. Uh, there were also, like, and I mean this as a compliment, there were also, like, I think four or five, like, truly funny lines. Mm-hmm. Like, truly. That's perfect. Truly laugh out loud funny I feel moments. like that's awesome if you want to watch a movie, uh, but also be on your phone, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Or that's, like you want to watch I a need. movie while you're like on a date or something and you want to be able to like, I don't know, like smooch a bit and be like kind of <laughs> busy. 
Like, you don't need to follow the plot closely. No. Well, because don't. In fact, it's better when you don't. (laughs) (laughs) So look at the pretty outfits. Yeah. I got really angry, actually, right at the beginning. This is not a spoiler, y'all. Right at the beginning. Oh, I did. uh, Spoiler alert for when I did say that Owen Wilson is really condescending in the the end. (laughs) But, um... The, like right at the beginning, like the whole premise of the movie is right before she's supposed to marry Maluma in this concert, right. she finds out he's been cheating. And this like best friend slash publicist slash employee slash whatever literally finds out Maluma's been cheating and then tries to hide it from her. And it's like, just, you know, just go marry that guy. What the <laughs> and she's what? Like, no, give me the phone. But then the rest of the time, he's like the best guy. And I was like, I would never forgive him. Like, I would be. Well, it's just sh- like there's not a lot of character development there if they're like, also, he cheats, but he's a cool dude. Like. No, he's not, though. We Like, he, he stays not. I mean, he's he oh. just gets to be the symbol of, like, what empty celebrity is. Like, he's mm, just gotcha. not. He doesn't have her best. Like, he, he doesn't. Yeah, he's just like a selfish person, I think. Gotcha. Um. Anyways, let's get into this movie that yeah, we actually are going to talk about and we are going to watch and we are going to do-do-do-do-do-do. Um, okay, it's my pick this week. Yes. Um, here's the thing. I picked this and the tagline is so insane to me. I if Here's the thing. If you, if you can guess this movie based on the tagline uh-huh. and the year... I'll give you the year. Okay. You can guess this movie based on the tagline and the year. I will literally give you every paycheck that I make for the rest of my life. <laughs> I will I will surrender all. I will be a financial sub for you. Okay. I will hold is, you to that, by the right. way. <laughs> this is a film from 2017. Okay. Recent. And the tagline is, is it better to speak or die? it better to speak or die you get one guess and then you will get all of my money for the rest of my life 2017 Ugh, what a bore uh yeah tick-tock, i have literally no idea tick-tock. you gotta make a guess okay speak if you guess die. wrong you have to give me all of your money forever <laughs> <laughs> i did not consent oh, okay. to that uh is there a movie about not speaking is yeah, it like a horror movie no that's oh, so okay. crazy okay i'll give you something else it's a movie from 2017 uh the most famous object in this film is a peach is it like no it not... takes place in italy uh is it a rom-com no drama it's a it's a a dromance okay it's sort of a drama romance peach oh is it girl strip no no that's a grapefruit (laughs) yeah that's definitely a comedy can you imagine that it's a drama oh yeah girl strip is a drama about (laughs) tiffany haddish peeing on uh, people in north i'm stuck on the fruit it's gay and the two lead actors are both straight dudes I feel like I haven't seen this movie. And one of them might be a cannibal. What? <laughs> I have literally no idea. Okay. This is not. What if I told you I'd like for you to. to, to... Oh, is it Call Me By Your Name? Yes. Okay, okay. I was going to be like, what if I told you <laughs> yeah, I'd like yeah, for yeah. you to call me Joanna? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Cannibal, yeah. I thought you meant in the movie. No. In real no, life. In real life. I have not seen this movie, actually, crazily. Oh, you don't support the gays. You hate gay people. <laughs> yes. It's, yep. It's uh, in line with my historical uh, homophobia. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, canon. Your homophobia is canon at this point. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. No, that's great. I actually really wanted to see this movie. Yeah. It is. Uh, it, it's a novel. It is a film. I've read the book and seen the movie because mm-hmm. I don't hate gay people. Right. Uh, it, again, stars uh, Army Hammer and mm-hmm. Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet, yep. Uh, and it 
is a, is a yeah, it's a, it's a, a bit of a love story between two men. Right. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it's difficult, more difficult to watch it post-cannibal accusations. And, and we can talk a little bit about that, I think, in maybe after, like, after we watch it. But, I mean, I do, I do think, yeah, it's an interesting I mean, there's dilemma. also a, a significant age gap between the two actors as well, think, right? Yes, between the two actors, I think they were, like, 21 and 38 when they filmed it but the characters i think are supposed to be like 17 and 24 okay something like that okay i also just invented their actor ages fully invented those ages i did oh. not look up a single thing it <laughs> could be <laughs> right could so be certain. wrong <laughs> all right so what are the themes that you think will be emerging Oh, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you, I don't want to tell you nothing. Okay. Uh, I want to see what you think. I want to see what the audience thinks, what everybody listening thinks. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. Okay. There's a lot of characters. Um, and it's, it's a, uh, it's a very pretty film. Okay. And it's the film that really gave us Timothy Chalamet. That is true. Yeah. I mean, he was an actor before then, but like, it's the one that really made him a star yeah and cool. you know it's nice to see opportunities for straight white men in hollywood i mean yeah what you a just, relief you don't see it enough you don't between owen wilson and <laughs> these these actors the patriarchy is alive the patriarchy is alive and well <laughs> and, and well <laughs> okay that's a terrible joke i'm sorry but that's our theme music ushering us out yeah. So we we're will. gonna watch this movie. Yeah. We'll be back in seconds, but for us, it will be much more than that. <laughs> Cause we got work to do. We got work to do. <laughs> Bye. Bye. was a doozy <laughs> you had not seen this movie i've never seen it no um it what did you think i mean it's it's a beautiful film like Gorgeous. i just obviously you know just from a visual like aesthetic uh standpoint it's beautiful it also was just visceral like i feel like i really yeah. was in feeling the feelings that these characters were were experiencing like i just i yes. was really he did such a good job of painting that picture and really inviting the audience like into that emotional experience um and so you know it was it was like a lot it was a in experience you know yeah it was an experience what's interesting is and to to jump into the synopsis part there's actually very few plot points in this film yeah um i mean really it is uh, a young graduate student. He's 24, mm -hmm. comes to stay with a professor and his wife and son. Mm -hmm. His son is 17 years old. And that's important, mm -hmm. 17 and 24. Yeah. Um, and through the summer, they develop a relationship um, that starts out as friendly but you can feel a bit of longing you can feel a, a physical connection sort of start to grow yeah. um and there's a bit of a will they won't they they each sort of have these like brief romantic encounters with women mm -hmm. uh but essentially it builds to a physical sexual and romantic connection or at least a friendly and sexual connection right um they develop a, a love and affection for each other uh and then the last thing is that, you know, the older one goes back to the university where he's getting his PhD yeah. and calls six months later and is engaged to a woman. Right. And that's kind of that's the, the whole, whole story. That's the whole thing, yeah. And we'll talk about some some details and some some nuance within, but like really and truly that's the story of this film. Yeah. Yep. It's really I mean, the the younger <clears throat> like you can tell that it's Timothy Chalamet's or Ilya's, like, kind of, he's 
having experiencing like having sexual experiences for the first time with yes and he names that yeah um it's a little less clear with oliver the 24 year old um he seems to have he does name that he's it seems like this experience of an attraction to a man is not new to him yeah um, and, and I think one of the things to be named throughout this is, is it's kind of this, like, it's a visually stunning. It's also just this, like, unbelievably, like, privileged, intelligent, yes. educated Absolutely. family where they're, his, this is 1983. This is a 17-year-old who is, like, composing and transposing music. He's passionate about literature. He speaks, like, four languages. Mm-hmm. They're at their family's house in northern Italy. Right. Um, his father is a professor. His mother reads stories to him in German. By the way, the, the is it better to speak or to die? Yes. Uh, is the is the thing which which actually now that we've seen it is obviously a pretty clear metaphor for like should I say that I am attracted to you or should I hold that to myself and die? Yeah, or like kill that part of myself, right? Kill that part of me. Yeah. Yeah, which the which the dad gives an unbelievable. Ugh speech i mean beautiful. yeah i just weep and of course god timothy chalamet's acting in this film is, is really good. so good he is so sad yeah but in exactly the way that you're like dang yes you are 17 and your heart is broken yeah yeah like this was everything in your heart everything in your heart and the dad gives this incredible speech about which particularly as a therapist i find to be so beautiful and 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 poignant but he basically is like you know you feel so much pain right now don't kill that pain you have that pain because you had that joy and you had that love exactly. so to damper like your future joy and love so you don't have pain he's like there's nothing left of you by the time you're 30 yeah and it's so beautiful it and is. sad and he basically says that he loved someone and he doesn't necessarily say uh, a sex or a gender of that person. You, I, 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 I kind of read it as a little gay. I mean, I, yeah, I do too. Um, but he says he he wasn't brave enough to to go for it. He chose not to speak, mm-hmm. and he died. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. I mean, like the thing is, this family. I, when we say this family is like incredibly privileged, what we're really just saying is they're very wealthy and they're very educated. That is not to say they are ignorant. That is not to say they are ungrateful. And I think it's so important when we talk about privilege to name. Privilege does not mean bad guy. Yeah. Privilege does not mean bad things. Privilege means they have a lot of resources at their disposal. Absolutely. And and you know socioeconomic status is level of income and parents' level of education, and they are clearly at the top of both of those things. Mm-hmm. Along with having, again, they are Jewish, but they're sort of multiculturally Jewish. They're sort of Jewish and Christian, um, Jews of discretion. Yes, as as the mother calls them. Um, Army Hammer, I is, is his character is also Jewish. Yeah, and he's he's in this open film. about it. I I looked it up. And Army Hammer is half Jewish. Really? Yeah. Ah, oh, that's interesting. I know. Did you find know. Did you find anything else when you looked up? <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> I found a lot of articles about his charitable work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did actually meet him once when I was working at the children's hospital. No way. Uh, I actually met him twice. Once I met him because we had we were in the same acting class for one week, mm-hmm. uh, and then he became very famous. <laughs> uh, and then and then another time I met him when he came uh, in to see a patient of mine at the children's hospital. No cameras. Like again, that is not me denying. Like people can both do charitable work and also assault people. So uh, this is not uh, yeah. not an absolution of anything um and you know i looked into the the assault stuff as well and we don't need to go into too much detail but you know the the spicy thing that everyone is talking about is this sort of like threat to cannibalism because i think that's the weird thing what really needs to be said is he intimidated and scared people sexually right uh the cannibalism is just the like tagline that people are using which is like weirdly the thing I have the least trouble with because if that's a fetish you want to sort of engage in not that he actually would he but you're not actually eating humans but consensually if you jokingly say you want to like chew on someone's flesh or toes or, or things to get that spark that's fine what he's doing is non-consensual exactly. and gross and exactly. 
Um, and I'm actually, not that I'm trying to, def- I don't know the cannibalist community, but it is one of those things that I actually think that the bummer of the way that it's reported is that what, what's getting hidden is that he assaulted somebody exactly. in like 2017. Yeah. He's a married movie star and assaulted someone. And all we hear is like, and he texted some girl saying he wanted to eat her ribs. Right. Which is like the the least important detail yeah, of it. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. He assaulted um, multiple women, by the way. Yeah. But this, there's one that, that really accounts, came forward yeah. and, and provided a lot of things. Yeah. And they, they and his camp has denied it pl- patently mm-hmm. and just has said no, 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 which is gross and sad. Uh, but Yeah. Seems to be the standard response, unfortunately. Yep. So, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> um, yeah, so we want to dive in. I... I will. I have to say, I have to name. Like, I am nervous to kind of talk about uh, sexual orientation because mm-hmm. I. I mean, I am in a privileged position in that sense because I identify as straight, and so mm-hmm. I haven't done a lot of research in this area. Um, and so I am a little bit nervous that I'm going to like say the wrong thing or be insensitive, and so. Uh, your your patience think, is appreciated. <laughs> well, no, but I think you know, uh, not not in a bad way. I hope you do yeah. say something, and we have a conversation because I think we learn so much more from mistakes we have. We are all born and raised in this filth of racism, of transphobia, yeah. of homophobia, of sexism, of misogyny, and sometimes it's not until we like burp something out from our insides and then have to look at what that is. Sorry for the disgusting metaphor, but like really and truly like yeah. no, it's, it's gross. True, yeah. And so uh, you, usually it's like of course that stuff is in you and if we get some of that stuff out and people are able to hear some of that stuff come out today just as I hope that my internalized homophobia, racism, misogyny like gets burped up and we we talk about some of that stuff on yeah. here because we we learn so much more from mistakes than we do from like getting it right. True. True. Uh, mistakes are opportunities to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 when you really care, you take those mistakes personally, which hopefully means when you take it personally, you work hard to learn from it. Yeah. It doesn't mean you take it personally as in you see the mistake as a reflection of your character and spirit as right. a person. What it means is, again, we've all been fed lies mm-hmm. and hate yeah. our whole lives. And when some of that comes out, Okay, good. That's out. Right. Better out than in. Totally. Like Shrek would say. He would say that. <laughs> it took me a second because I was still thinking, yeah. Anyways, farts. <laughs> Sorry to end that in such a flippant way. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was, what you said was beautiful. I totally agree. Um, and, you know, well, so. Well, that being said, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. So as someone who studies the brain and cares a lot about what's going on in the brain, there has been a lot of research in that space of understanding yeah. genetic, biological, neural correlates of sexual orientation, both in utero and development and in adulthood. And so the first thing that I, I looked into was like, you know, because that, that made me uncomfortable of just like, what are we saying here if we're talking about sexual orientation as something you're born with or something that's like, you know, something like gay genes or like, gay brain or whatever maybe she's born with it maybe it's gay baleen (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's so good um and so you know i was looking into whether basically this research is controversial or not and there have been you know really huge names in the field there have been many articles published in nature like the the top nature is yeah nature and science are the two biggest journals that exist in research if you get academic yeah if you get published there you are set yes so Acti- these, like professionally these are like incredibly well-researched methodologically sound uh studies but mm-hmm. what are we talking about here and what are the implications of this and so exactly um you know there's there's i was reading about um you know uh attitudes about biased research in general um mm. this actually came up a lot with me studying mindfulness and meditation which is like a spiritual has a spiritual mm-hmm. background um and so like is is all research inherently biased because all humans are biased right and is there a like illusion or like this 
this uh, assumption of, you know, pure scientific objectivity that we're trying to work towards, which is impossible. And should we like embrace our own bias basically and, and acknowledge that, name that and right. not say, here's a study that is completely free of bias because that does, that's not possible. Yeah, we've controlled for all bias when, when in fact, even the lenses through which you are reading it are skewed. Yeah, and so, but talking about bias research has huge, larger implications for, uh, co- like, highly, uh, you know, controversial topics about, you know, sexual orientation and, you know, there's homophobic groups, there's oppression, there's, like, funding concerns. You know, this is, like, a, a topic that may make certain groups and funding sources mad at you, you know? Of course. And so... Well, I mean, it it almost feels like this kind of research could, like, in its extreme, lead to eugenics. Exactly. So, yes. So I was looking into uh, this this conversation with Francisco Sanchez, who's an assistant professor at UCLA, and he studies gender-based biology. Yeah. (laughs) Shout out. Let's see if I'm still shouting them out after this. (laughs) Um, you know, he's saying like the fact that research is like inherently biased. I mean, that's the same concept as me search, right? There's so many, and this Francisco Sanchez uh, is, uh, you know, identifies as homosexual and, uh, people that think that that makes him biased in terms of what he's studying. He's like, how is that different from someone who, uh, has a, a familial history of Huntington's disease, studying Huntington's disease? Right. It's it's like everyone brings their own uh, personal like of things course. that have happened to them into their research. Of and course, I yeah. think in it can make it you know much more powerful. But um, you know, so he he had a little bit to say about whether having uh, thinking of sexual orientation as having a biological basis, uh, you know, can be supporting an argument that this is not something that someone chooses, but rather they're born with it. It's not something that they right. just decide through environment or stuff your parents did wrong or something, you know, uh, and, and in that way can be a powerful driver for change because studies have shown that people are more accepting of LGBT rights if they believe there's a biological basis for right. sexual orientation. But to your point before, it's concerning because that can lead to ideas of something like, you know, gay cleansing and eugenics um, and thinking about uh sexual orientation as some sort of congenital defect or something. Right. Even um, trying to work on things like gene therapy yeah. or, or something to to reverse or alter one's gay genes. Yeah. And so Dr. Sanchez basically says, you know, in response to that, you know, the issue of biological causation should not be the basis for people's civil and human rights, period. Yes. Period. Yes. Um, and so that's kind of... <laughs> That's kind of where I landed with with that, and uh, you know, these these are are like highly influential studies. They are well well huge researched, yeah. and so um, I did look at a few. I didn't look at um, kind of in utero or in uh, developmental kind of uh, biology, uh-huh. but I did look at neural correlates of heterosexual, homosexual, and bisexual men and women. Okay. These are two articles um, by Safran and uh, others in Nature. Uh-huh. Not not Steve Safran. <laughs> oh, not Steve Safran no, from the University a of Miami. Safran. Safran. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's two studies that they did. One was uh, just in women. One was just in men, and they showed uh, the participants erotic images of. Uh, male or female stimuli basically mm-hmm. and looked at their brain activity kind of overall everywhere but also specifically in the ventral striatum um, which is involved in the reward system what you know doing stuff with the expectation that it will feel good right this is mm-hmm. this is a uh, the part of the brain that's uh, kind of involved with that so uh, they found that in women the neural response to male versus male versus female erotic pictures was not significantly different in heterosexual or bisexual women, um, but there was that bias towards female stimuli uh, in both subjective responses and in ventral striatum responses uh, in homosexual women. Um, Heterosexual women just showed no difference at all in the neural response in the ventral striatum or anywhere in the brain. 
There's just mm-hmm. no difference. Uh, and bisexual women showed a bit more mixed patterns, so they didn't see anything in the ventral striatum, but there was uh, more activation in sensory processing areas uh, to female stimuli and activations more responsive to male stimuli in areas associated with social cognition, which I think okay. is interesting. Yeah. Um, because it kind of reflects social attitudes and how they relate with others, social norms, things like that. So I thought that was super fascinating. That is super fascinating. Um, And then in men, they did this, you know, like separately in men, um, it's, the pattern is different. So it's very kind of straightforward. The bias towards greater activation in the ventral striatum for, uh, is present in, with female stimuli in heterosexual men and male stimuli in homosexual men. It's just kind of very clear cut. Um, and then bisexual men kind of have less clear differentiation, but that's really, I mean, it's right. the, the, the pattern that you might expect, honestly. Um, yeah. so that, that I thought was super interesting. Um, yeah. What thoughts? It is super have? interesting. Well, you know, I think it, so it's such interesting work and, and it is, it has changed so much. This work has shifted so dramatically and is sort of like still not come up with a consensus. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is sort of similar to the um, PNAS paper that uh, that came out in 2020. PNAS is like, after Science and Nature, like the third biggest journal. Yeah. And in 2020, pu- published a paper that said there is, like the, the paper said there is robust support for the existence of bisexual men. Interesting. And the queer community erupted in rage at this study, which essentially this study said exactly what you're pointing out, right? Said that when, when we look at, they looked at penile arousal. Okay. And so essentially when they see, when, when men who say they are straight look at, you know, images of men versus women, they have a, a greater arousal response for women. When men who say they are gay, they have a greater arousal response toward men. And when men who say they are bisexual, they have a more significant response to both mm-hmm. than men who say they are straight or gay. Mm-hmm. And the audience, hopefully, if you're starting to listen and, and thinking in, in the, the ways that we often do on this podcast, the, the gall of asking that question when there are millions of men who identify as bisexual who have been saying, I am bisexual, is is unbelievable. Yeah, like right? why like you need we, why do you need empirical evidence that that my experience exists? Yeah, exactly. Like what, what and also these are such like it's funny because in order to look at this from a biological standpoint, right? It requires such like essentially like a crude and simplistic view of what is sexual arousal, what is sexual attraction. Absolutely. I mean, that was another big thing that came up for me is is looking at these as as a categorical variable. Uh, I mean, a lot yeah. of studies look at just, you know, straight and gay individuals. Yes. Um, bisexual, yeah. like studying bisexuals is actually like uh, kind of newer in terms of incorporating them I, into. I your... found a great little little piece that was saying literally like, and because because studying bisexuals is so much later that a, a lot of our gay straight research previously wasn't accounting for bisexuals exactly. and therefore is not good research. Exactly. Because there's lots of people who are having sex. So they're only saying men who have sex with men and including bisexuals in the gay camp. Totally. Which is like totally flawed. Totally. Uh, totally flawed research. So, you know, I think thinking about sexual orientation as a continuum, as, you know, Kinsey, the Kinsey scale... Uh, does is something that would be, I think, incredibly important in these kinds of brain imaging studies. However, you know, there are kind of just methodological constraints in terms of, uh, like, recruiting participants, you know, but but it should be named more explicitly, I think. To talk about, like, these are the two things or three things that you can be, I think is honestly, like, irresponsible. You know, and it's so boring. The the Kinsey also scale, none of this is is accounting for like gender variation I mean, either. Yeah. This is a very like penis vagina attraction. Yeah, and so like just the dimensionality of gender totally. as it overlaps on sex right. is like totally. Uh, yeah, and so with the Kinsey scale, right? I mean, do you want to speak to like what that is? Uh, sure. This Kinsey scale is a scale from one to six that is uh, one being heterosexual and si- being exclusively heterosexual and six being exclusively homosexual. Um, 
Uh, which, by the way, we're using the word homosexual a lot today because we're speaking specifically about men who have sex with men. The term homosexual uh, should not be used anymore uh, and should not be written. But because we're talking only about, like when you speak to somebody who identifies as gay, referring to them as homosexual is referring to like an old diagnosis. But oh. right now we are talking about same-sex sex. So so now actually the, the, the uh, term that is used in research is men who have sex with men. Right, yeah, yeah. Because there's also a difference between identifying as gay and identifying, not even outside of, like, not even saying including bisexuality in this, but there are men who don't identify as gay who exclusively have sexual attraction toward men. But gay is kind of, is a lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. Gay is including a romantic orientation, is including, like, um, relational orientation yeah. in a way that is just saying sexually, this is this is what I... So they've actually started to delineate some of those things in, in papers. We're going to continue to say homosexual, given that it is the language of the time of what... Of what most of this research was being written. But again, this homosexual was a mental disorder as diagnosed, which is why we've moved into saying like gay versus men who have sex with men. But bisexual and heterosexual are still fine. It's because those were not diagnostic terms. Right. Anyways, little... Little I did not know info that. there. That's very yeah. good to know. You wouldn't have yeah. to. I learned that in, I mean, being de- devout as a homosexual. <laughs> I learned this in uh, like 2011 or 12. I was in my master's program and I described a, a client in a clinical report as homosexual. And my teacher was like, I'm not trying to tell you what you can say, but <laughs> don't. And I was like, huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyways. Sense. Uh, so the Kinsey scale, though, is looking at this like one to six kind of thing and putting things on a gradient. So to say that like you can have, you know, essentially like 80% of your sexual energy and attraction is toward women, but, you know, 20% is toward men. But again, this is this weird, I, I actually think sexual orientation is almost like a triangle or like a diamond where there's like sex and gender and you sort of plot yourself on a strange sort of x y axis Mm -hmm. um in order you know in terms of the valence of all of it yeah i mean so i yeah i totally agree and i think how much data are we missing or like the richness of this data by collapsing them into these categorical exactly variables and so where do you think that our characters <laughs> would lie. So, so I thought a lot about this. Yeah. I thought a lot about are they gay? Yeah. Are they bisexual? Because Elio very enthusiastically has sex with uh, a girl multiple times. Yeah. Uh, finishes very quickly. Yeah. Uh, she even comments one time before they have sex, like, you're so hard. Right. And he's like hard immediately. He, he fixes his erection in one scene as well. Like, they're kissing and he like has to adjust it. Um, and uh, I mean, this film is really about building sexual tension right. of like, will they, won't they right. slash when, when by God, will they? Yeah. Um, and you really sit in it. The book, by the way, is even more intense because you're in their heads. Ah. It is sexual. <laughs> um, but so. Um, you know, and within this, uh, I should also name, so part, I'm a little, I'm a little skewed and a little biased in this, in that I actually also read the sequel to this. So I know where they go down the road. What is it called? Find me or what is it called? Yeah. Find, find me. Yeah. 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 Something like that. I read it. Uh, And interestingly, the, the book is, uh, a third of it is Elio, a third of it is Oliver and a third of it is the dad. Oh, Cool. Yeah, I, he I finds want more dad. love again. He finds love again. Uh, he he gets a divorce from the mom, but an amicable. We love each other. We just we we're we're running on fumes here, and he meets like a young woman. Uh, yeah. Anyways, I digress. Are they gay? Are they straight? Are they bi? They seemed happy though. The parents. I know. I know. I'm 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 crushing so, your love story. But well, the thing I appreciated about Find Me, and there's not a lot of things I appreciated about Find Me, but the thing I appreciated about Find Me is actually that he's able to name like we love each other and loved each other, and there's more for us in the world. And so they they are very they mm. they remain best friends. They remain very close, and like and I think there's something. I think there's a really powerful thing in any stories that are letting us know that your life can have more than one great love. Your life, right. and that does not mean you have failed. Um, right. And 
yeah, anyways, so the Elio Oliver thing, this is very different than like, say the other biggest like gay film in that, um, in Brokeback Mountain, right? Where it's these two men who are, the whole world is pulling them apart. And in this film, it's right. two men that are, yes, having relationships with women. It is 1983. There is like AIDS is, is brand new all over the world. So there's a lot of gay right. panic and fear. Um, mm-hmm. But th- that doesn't, that's, doesn't have to necessarily map onto this. And I think the reason it doesn't necessarily map onto this is because I don't think that in this movie, these two identify as gay. I think these two identify yeah. as two men who have fallen in love with each other. And they know there is stigma and they know there is taboo. Um, and so I do think they both enjoy sex with women. I think they would fall somewhere in the middle of this Kinsey scale. Um, right. I think they get together in, in Find Me. After like 10 years, I think they do mm. find love again. So would you say they are bisexual? I would say they're bisexual. I mean, honestly, I, I, I think the at the time, certainly, bisexual would probably map on most easily. I actually think pansexual, which is essentially bisexuality by, while adding in the dimension of gender being like a fluid construct as well. Mm-hmm. And so um, mm-hmm. I, I'd probably, I, I tend to err on the side of pan when I'm labeling someone who's not telling me their label. Um, right. But yeah, so I would probably err, err on that side. Um, I found some some interesting articles about this sort of phenomenon of same-sex sex uh, between men, but not just between men, but between a minor and an adult as the f- primary. Yeah, let's talk about the other. Let's talk part about the other thing, film, which is the age so gap. I want to name very plainly. Elio is seventeen years old. Uh, mm-hmm. That is important. In that, uh, I I think that there are some seventeen-year-olds who are mentally ready to fall in love and have sex, and there are some 17-year-olds who are not. So some of the things I see clinically that make me think, that make me feel very comfortable with the fact that Elio, as a 17-year-old, is having sex with somebody seven years older than him, uh, are one, he's comfortable talking about sex with his parents, right? So he is not, he is in a space where should this go poorly, he has resources. So that is huge to me. Um, He names before, like very casually to his dad, when his mom is also in, in, in hearing distance, I almost had sex with, uh, the, the, the girl, um, that he was with, right? I almost had sex with her last night. Yeah. And, and names this very, very plainly. Uh, and I think his, his relationship with his parents, um, is very close. And so I feel like he is in that sense, it is a very safe sort of risk for him to be taking, um, I think mm-hmm. intellectually he and um, Oliver are not necessarily in the exact same place, but it did not feel exploitative. It did not feel um, inappropriate. And the thing that I like the most about the way that this is portrayed is while Elio is immediately like, let's have sex. I want to kiss you. I want to like touch your crotch. I want this. Oliver says, wait. And I actually think that that wait where both of us can step away and think about whether this is something we want to do and it is not an impulsive act and it is not um, an instantaneous. So again, I am not in their minds, but I will say that I think what's really important is coming out of this, Elio does not feel harmed. So so there is not trauma. There is right. emotional loss, right? He feels emotionally right. very strong to him. And, and I, I, I appreciate, um, I don't know if you named it while we were if we were talking right before or while you were talking on the podcast, but you mentioned grooming earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think. It was yeah. Before. So grooming is, uh, an act where, um, a sexual predator will mm-hmm. in small ways work to mentally and, and emotionally manipulate someone into feeling slowly more and more comfortable with things like physical contact, um, it's basically behavioral chaining, right? Where you, it's the, it's the, to use the metaphor of like, when you, when you put a frog in, in boiling water and you raise it, you know, one degree at a time, he doesn't know yeah. that he's getting yeah. hot. Right. Um, it's that kind right. of thing. And we do see moments of like Oliver rubbing Elio's shoulders. Um, we do see, and so he, he engages in acts which could be. Yeah, I mean, 
there's like that scene where they're they're kind of debriefing after they're like finally together and Oliver says like I felt like I was molesting you and you like you know rebuffed my advances like when he was rubbing his shoulder during the volleyball game like he literally said I felt like I was molesting I was worried I was molesting you which to me is like okay there's some acknowledgement that this could potentially be construed that way well and here's the thing I mean harassment is in the eye of the recipient me asking you out consistently is only harassment if you feel harassed and so I say that not to absolve um and not to say that this is not murky water but to name that elio Mm -hmm. did not feel harassed by it and and i found some research actually that's really interesting um that is uh so this is sort of re-research by a guy named bruce rind on or rind on kinsey's experiments so kinsey obviously being the most famous uh sex researcher of all time masters and johnson being the the next two um but so kinsey Mm -hmm. did um, a lot of studies on same-sex sex samples within prisons and then also within the general population. Yes. And so this article is actually comparing those two populations, right? And so there's a, a study that is essentially looking at reactions to and characteristics of the first post-pubertal same-sex sex. So again, post-pubertal being a hugely important thing to be naming, meaning these people are physically in the adult category. This is not a child molestation mm-hmm. situation. Um, and I want to really name that. And Kinsey was very, very, uh, it, this is a really in, it, really astute thing to be separating at the time. So what we're naming is one is a minor and one is an adult. However, physically, this is not a childhood kind of thing. And so looked yeah. at the focus on these minor adult contacts and found that prison participants uh, that had a minor, uh, uh, prison participants had a um, a minor to adult uh, same-sex sex experience twice as often as general participants, so out of prison. And their experiences yeah. involved penetration in three-quarters of those cases compared to only half in the general participants. And mm. also was paid for, meaning sex work, three times as often. Now, I want to pause in saying this. So what we're saying is people in prisons had twice as many same-sex sex, sex, uh, post-pubertal, minor to adult experiences. I want you to pause and just hear that correlation and causation is not the same thing. So what I'm saying is, and before we move on, and I will clarify this as we move on, this is not to say that people who are molested by adults or that people who have minor to adult same-sex sex sex as their first interaction are in any way more criminal. One of the things I want to name, Mm -hmm. queer sex is so much more likely to be criminalized. So Mm -hmm. a a 17-year-old and a 24-year-old having sex in their car, if they are a cis man and a cis woman, are less likely to go to jail for being or or, and being convicted of essentially a crime. Public sex is a crime. So I want to name, there's a lot of reasons why this general, this prison population is going to be different. Also namings that a lot of these are paid for sexual experiences. So let's also name Mm -hmm. that the number of queer people who are kicked out of their homes and and become homeless and and then Mm -hmm. use sex work to pay their bills, which is also a Mm -hmm. crime. So I want to destigmatize a lot of what's being said here. And that is actually really nicely reflected in this research because what Kinsey found was that the differences in the reactions to these events from the prison and general population are the exact same. And so when you combine all the results, 66% of all people said that in these experiences, they had positive reactions to it. They enjoyed it, Mm. quote, much. Only 15% had emotionally negative reactions such as shock, disgust, guilt. So what we're saying is that it's actually the exact same in terms of, and, and this includes paid for sex. This includes right, the way we look at sex work as it must be horrible, traumatic, must be bad, is, is uh, pathologizing and is a really sex negative view, right? There are, there are lots of yeah. reasons why this can be good. Um, I wanna pause and get your reactions before I, before I finish out on this, because I've said so many things. Yeah, no, I mean, that's super interesting. And one of the things that you said reminds me of something that I looked into, which is, 
parent parental like uh support yeah non-support to children who come out to their parents um and you're talking about getting thrown out of the house and like how those things could be uh related to behaviors that are you know are constituted as a crime um i looked at that in terms of health outcomes which i mean one of those is illicit drug use which is also a crime you know and so there but it's a coping of mechanism, right this is like substance abuse so i looked at a very thelman louise by rothman and- very thelman yeah. louise <laughs> totally i looked at a study that looked at health outcomes right so it's from a 2002 survey study so uh generally like two-thirds of um gay and bisexual males and lesbian and bisexual females reported receiving adequate social and emotional support from the parent to whom they first mm. disclosed their sexual orientation, which I feel like is an important differentiator yeah. um, because there could be one parent who maybe isn't as supportive um, and one parent who is. But uh, in lesbian and bisexual females, just no disclosure at all was associated with higher levels of reporting illicit yes. drug use yes. in the past month. Fair, fair or poor self-reported yes. health status and feelings of depression in yes. the past month. Um, those relationships were not true for uh, gay and bisexual men uh, in this study anyway. Um, and But gay and bisexual men with unsupportive parents, so yeah. not, you know, they're actually telling them and have lack of support, were associated with higher levels of uh, self-reported binge uh-huh. drinking and feelings uh-huh. of depression um, and... Uh, lesbian and bisexual females with unsupportive parents uh, were associated with higher levels of self-reported illicit drug use and feelings of depression. So there are there are impacts to how parents react yeah. to their children's sexual orientation huge. that can have huge detrimental, you know, impacts on on their life. Huge. Yeah. yeah, I think this is so important to be paying attention to. I mean, I think I've said this statistic before on here, but it always like resonates with me is for like a trans for trans kids, there is a 40% chance that trans children uh, who are not supported will attempt suicide. And yeah. just to have a parent who one, uh, no, not even a parent, one adult in their life who is supportive, one, the suicide uh, attempt rate drops to 4%. Yeah. Unbelievable. And so what we're naming, yeah. right, is that, it, and, and really I think that really reflects even as well as this, this prison um, versus general population, what we're saying is actually the trauma that is occurring is not the sex. But we have such right. a pathological view of sex that that we have to assume, right, when I say things like, oh, the prison population has a much higher rate of these things, we're like, oh, they're, they're so broken, they're so damaged, and it's like, no, actually the the... The satisfaction and and the that that Kinsey study basically found that that what the the mechanism for the difference in satisfaction versus non satisfaction is is basically the the individual's description of it as trauma or not and the same with these parents yeah. right so like the acceptance all what we're really looking at are all trauma responses and so these negative mm-hmm. outcomes from parents is so destabilizing and scary and traumatic that it leads to substance use it leads to all of these other things but the actual act of being queer is not a traumatic thing or something to be pathologized it is not yeah. because of molestation that people become queer exactly and vice versa mm-hmm. it yeah whoa right we, but this is really there. like this I, is yeah. like i mean not the 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 mindset that so many people have i know within my own family people have said that they think i must have been assaulted Within my own, not my wow. immediate family, aunts, uncles, right, right. cousins. Um, wow. Yeah, either that or I'm just seeking attention. Where it's like, I mean, listen. Yeah. It, having sex with the gender or sex you don't want to have sex with just for attention. Have you seen me? I, I don't have to work for attention. <laughs> I do just fine. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, did you get into when you were doing any of your uh, stuff? One of my favorite things that is sort of sociological or like um, anthropological, but like with a biological thing, is the gay uncle theory. Do you no. know what that is? 
Okay, no. so one in terms of the causes of what is queer, so without actually looking, it's a non-biological approach, actually. It's purely um, analytics. So what they found is, oh, well, there is a bit of biology here. So one of the things that they found is um, a male is more likely to be gay uh, for every um, older male sibling he has. So basically with every additional male in your family, the next one is more likely to be gay. And I think it increases like, so the, the numbers are, are interesting and actually just came out recently as very, very different in that generationally, they just published a great study about the increasing number of people who identify as queer. But mm-hmm. historically it's right, it's somewhere between three and 6% that, that identify as gay. Um, so mm-hmm. the, the likelihood of that with each child um, increases by like 30%. So um, hmm. not 30%, 30% of that 3 to 6%, not 30% total. Um, and what, right. what this has essentially led to is this evolutionary understanding of what's called gay uncle theory, which is basically to say that in a community, which humans historically for millennia have existed in, the communities of about 200 tends to be like the number we, mm-hmm. we until big, big cities, we really just like 200. So until about 2,000 years mm-hmm. ago, there were always little communities of 200 people. And so within that, basically there's an evolutionary advantage to introducing males to the community who are not sexually competing for resources. So basically there is an evolutionary advantage to having men physically, like male-bodied individuals who are not adding sexual aggression into a space. And so it's what's called the gay uncle theory. And that basically your body says, okay, we've cranked out some straight ones. There may be too many straight ones. We don't want to mess with our equilibrium within this community. So let's, Uh. let's crank out a gay one. And there are lots of theories that are saying like it's it has a lot to do with like uh, so a of all certain genes, um, but one of the things that is also like the amount of testosterone received to the fetus at a certain yeah. point in gestation, et cetera. Yep. And this yep. was previous initially identified as a fluke or a flaw in that like if a woman has had previous sons, but we're actually starting to reframe it. And again, perspective is everything is that it actually has this yep. advantage, which I love gay uncle theory. I'm also the youngest of five children and the only gay one. Yeah. And so my yeah. mom's my mom's uterus was like, "Listen. Listen. Look, <laughs> Mary Ellen." Um, but I, I love that because it's such like a beautiful understanding of like the the ways in which nature created queerness. Well, yeah, that it serves an incredibly important yes. function within yes. society. And listen, That's I am validating. a cooperative bitch. Yeah. yeah. I you am. <laughs> and you're a great uncle. I am a great uncle. Although I don't know that any of my nieces yeah. and nephews are hearing me on this podcast say I am a cooperative <laughs> not, bitch. Maybe not this specific one. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Uh, this is so fun. I I feel like this is this is a this long is a one. long one, but also there's so there's such like rich there's so material much. in here. Yeah, I, I do want to. I, I want to so just much. reiterate a few of the points. One, if we made some mistakes or we said something that was an oops or an ouch, send us a DM. I want to name, like, again, I think in this case of Elio and Oliver, we do not have Elio or Oliver reporting this as traumatic. And therefore, yeah, I do not see this as trauma. Should that yeah. change, I would then support the and believe the reaction of the person in this case. So that is why I want to name, like for those, if there was a little bit of a reaction to to saying that, um, because I think when I think of myself at 17, uh, there's a lot of 24 year olds I would have very willingly pursued and very happily had yeah. a lot of it. And so I, I want to name, this is um, a cuspy adulthood situation, but also technically in the state of California, illegal. There is This, this is a right. non, what we would call a non-reportable or this actually might be a may report versus a must report. I'll look it up. Whenever gotcha. I have this stuff with a client, okay. I can just look up the numbers. Uh, but I'm not doing it right now. But yeah. So I want to name that. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. And, you know, I learned so much just from talking about I know this. about gay stuff. Research is me search. I mean, it is. It I totally should tell is. the podcast I'm gay.
I think it's yeah. time. I mean, Joanna started with that whole thing about how not gay she is, so I guess... <laughs> It's like that Macklemore song, that stupid Macklemore song that's like, I'm okay with gay people, but I'm not one. I'm not one. I'm not one. I'm not one. I actually have a whole verse about how just how not gay I am, but I'm yeah. cool yeah. with it. Yeah. You know who loves yeah. the Big Lebowski? Macklemore. Yeah. A white rapper. A white rapper. Uh, well, now that Macklemore stopped listening to the pod, we've done our work. We've lost him. We've done our yeah. work. I have been Dr. Right. J.D. Parton. I have been Dr. Joanna Whitkin. Download, like, subscribe, rate, review. Do it all. Do it all. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. We are slowly growing every week. We're so proud of this. We've got some really cool, fun surprises coming up. Uh, And we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye.